Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I'm going to give you four things to note about the casting out of this demon. Four things I just want to point out. I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to move on pretty quickly. But four things, perhaps you're taking notes at this point. Number one, I want you to notice here that Paul wasn't intimidated by the demon. He was in control. Number one, he wasn't intimidated. He was in control. Secondly, Paul, notice, spoke directly to the demon and not the girl. He said to the demon. He did not say to the girl. So Paul wasn't intimidated. He was in control. Secondly, he spoke directly to the demon and not to the girl. Thirdly, if you're taking notes, he commanded the demon to come out of her. He didn't ask. He commanded the demon to come out. He did not ask. And then finally, he drew on the power of Jesus and not on his own strength. He drew on the power of Jesus, not on his own strength. Now, saints, you know, I bring this to your attention because I've been around the church for a bit and have seen a lot of ministry. And I know that there are ministries out there that they their ministry efforts and their focus is on, you know, deliverance and delivering people from demons and delivering even Christians, which, by the way, saints, listen close. The Bible is very clear. Christians cannot be demon possessed. Would please with more than 10 people say amen, would you? Christians cannot be demon possessed. The Bible says you are possessed with the spirit of God. And if you're possessed with the spirit of God, you cannot be possessed with a evil spirit because God and an evil spirit will not dwell in the same temple. Now, Christians can be oppressed. Christians can be depressed. Christians may need Zoloft, hopefully for a very short period of time. But Christians cannot be possessed. I have seen deliverance ministries and, 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 and these kinds of things. And unfortunately, I haven't seen this model in casting out demons. I haven't seen that. I've seen a lot of show and I've seen a lot of fireworks and I've seen a lot of, you know, stuff. But, but I haven't really seen what we see in the scriptures as it relates to demon possession. And might I add, Saint, listen, if you've ever, ever, ever been in the presence of a person who is truly demon possessed, I guarantee you, you will not be wanting to go chase demons. It is a scary thing. Look, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And should God give me the opportunity of which I have on two different occasions, which was two times too many, 
on two different occasions, been confronted with what I believe was a girl who was truly demon-possessed and a guy who was truly demon-possessed. Should I become faced with that situation, I believe that God will give me the grace and I will follow this biblical model to cast that demon out. But you don't have to worry about Pastor Rodney going to chase any demons. I, matter of fact, if they come in near me, I'm running the other way because I don't roll like that. All right? I don't go out like that. No, I don't. Look, I, I'm like, look, look, look. Lord, can you call somebody else to that ministry? That's not me. But there are whole ministries. I guess I'm going to move on. But there's whole ministries that, that you know, their, their, their focus, their emphasis is to, to, to cast out demons and to, to bring people who are demon-possessed. And that's not a biblical model. You don't see Paul going city to city, getting in the city saying, hey, where are them demons at? Let me go find me some demons. I'm ready to cast me out some devils. You don't see Paul doing that. Paul goes into the city to preach the gospel. Somebody say amen. He ain't, that's, he ain't going to try to find no demons. And neither should we. But God will give us the grace we need if we are ever confronted with demons. Amen? That's all I say. That's more than what I want to say, but that's all I say. Look at verse 19. When her masters, notice this, saw that their prophet was gone because they cast the demon out of her, and they saw that their prophet was gone, I find it very interesting that they don't care anything about this young girl being delivered from demons. All they care about is their what, saints? Money. All they care about is their profit. And so the magistrates brought Paul and Silas and accused them of breaking the law, tore their clothes off their backs and beat them with rods. And this was a public beating, by the way, more like a caning, if you will. As a crowd would stand around with thumbs up, which meant keep beating and thumbs down, which meant stop. And after they were beaten, the Bible tells us they were thrown. Did you notice this? In the inner prison in verse 24. Now, this prison had three levels. They had the outer prison. And there were windows and air and light in the outer prison. And then they had the inner prison, and it was dark and damp, and it was a dungeon. And then they had the dungeon, which was basically a rotten cave under the prison. And there was no light in the dungeon, and there was human waste in the dungeon. And it stunk. And people were putting stocks in this area, and it's like a death row, like a solitary confinement. This is where they took Paul and Silas, locked them in wooden stocks. It was painful. Their backs had been beaten with rods and they're bleeding. And notice what they do. Verse 25, go there with me. At midnight in verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying. And what were they doing, saints? Singing hymns to God. Are you kidding me? And the prisoners were listening to them. And then suddenly, note this, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light and literally he sprang in. And fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Tithe. <laughs> Is that what they said? No. I don't have time, Bill. I got I to gotta move on. Man. You notice they didn't say 
Well, let's, let's understand what they did say. Look, look, look at verse 31. So they said what? Read it with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. They didn't say, what must I do to be saved? Tithe. They didn't say, what must I do to be saved? Well, you got to sign the church register. Well, you need to go to new members class. You need to join the church. You need to serve a life sentence in children's ministry. Notice that, you know, the thing that just, 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 look, we have made so much of the gospel of salvation that it now you can't see it. You, you really can't even see it. We've stacked all this stuff on the salvation. Listen, if you want to be saved, you simply need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice they didn't say you need to, if you want to be saved, you got to wear the right clothes to church. If you want to be saved, you got to do this, that, or the other. If you want to be saved, you got to, you know, join the church. They didn't say anything like this. These guys didn't give them religion to join or an organization to belong to or a membership to sign. They said you need to believe on the Lord Jesus. And that is what we need to do to be saved. The gospel message is simple. Man has complicated it. The gospel message, I'll say it again in case you were asleep. The gospel message is simple, but man has complicated it. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Notice, notice what Paul goes on to say. And they spoke the word of the Lord in verse 32. You see that? In verse 30, I put my glasses on so I can see it. In verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night. And notice this, guys. He washed their stripes. Isn't that interesting? This is the man who inflicted those stripes on them. And now he's washing their stripes, which, give me your attention, is proof positive that he really is saved. You know why? Because if you truly give your life to Christ and you really make a commitment to Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You start to do good works. You start to do the right thing. You start to do good things. Your, your salvation is proven by the works That you do, not the other way around. You don't work for salvation because salvation is a free gift of God. But once you are saved, now your life should be proof of your salvation by what you do. And this guy who had who had inflicted wounds on Paul and Silas and these 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 stripes on their back, he is now changed and softened his heart. He is so changed that now we find that he is washing their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. And when he, in verse 34, had brought them into his house, he gave them something to eat. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Now stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. What we see is this man changed. What we see is a man who has been born again. What we see is a man who... His life has been so radically changed that now he is ministering to them. And you do want to notice that when Paul and Silas were brought into this prison, they were brought in as prisoners, as as slaves to be put in stocks. But we note from verse 30 that now they go from being prisoners to being treated with respect. They go from being prisoners to now being called master. That's a term of respect. And so this guy is saved. Not only is he saved, but did you notice in verse 31, not only was he saved, but his whole household was saved. Now, I'm going to touch on this just a second here. 
Because there is a popular understanding that if you give your life to Christ, that God will automatically save your whole family. That if you are saved, that your whole family will be saved. It's almost like an automatic thing. Listen, that is true to an extent. To an extent. And what I mean by that is the Bible does not teach that if you get saved, your whole house will automatically get saved. No, the Bible teaches every man must make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You cannot go to heaven on your grandfather's coattail. Somebody once said, God doesn't have any grandkids, only sons and daughters. You have to give your life to Christ. But now that is true in this regard. If you give your life to Christ, you now have the ability to influence your family. Now you have the ability to pray like my mom did me. My mom didn't get saved until I was 15 years old. And all of a sudden she comes home from work and she's weird now. She went home last Wednesday back to Philly, so now I can talk. She's all Mrs. Christian. I couldn't believe it. But then she began to pray for us. Then she began to influence me and to tell me about Jesus and to tell me about the word. And she tried to get me to go to church. I was resistant, but she tried. When I went to church, I'd hear the word. She began to influence my life. So the Bible teaches that if you give your life to Christ, your whole family is not automatically going to be saved, but you have the ability now to influence your family, to bring them to Christ. And that's exactly what this Philippian jailer did. He influenced his family. He was saved. Not only was he saved, his whole house was saved. And he began to wash their stripes, and they began to wash him in baptism as he got baptized. Look at verse 35. Y'all still with me? Say amen. And when it was day, look at verse 35. I got to move on. The magistrate sent the officer saying, let those men go. And so the keeper of the prison, he reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, go, go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they want to put us out in secret? Uh Uh-uh. No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us. Paul was something else. Oh, you didn't want to get him upset. You know, Paul wasn't the kind of Christians that would slap you. You know, if that had been us, I'd have been like, yippee. I don't care what they've done. The point is, I need freedom. Oh, well. Well, the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were, note this, afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And then they came and they pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of who, saints? Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Notice briefly The magistrates went, wanted to let Paul go, and the jailer heard about it. The jailer was excited. It's very possible that the jailer that heard about it and was excited was the same jailer who just got saved. So we know that this is the next day, according to verse 35. It's the next day. So what we have is this Philippian jailer, this guy who had just gotten saved, he's all excited, He runs into Paul and Silas and he says, hey, man, they're willing to let you go. And Paul says, no way, we're not leaving because they violated the law. They violated the Roman law on three points. Number one, because if you were a Roman citizen, you were to be given freedom from being beaten. 
Paul says we were Roman citizens and they beat us. They broke the law. Secondly, freedom from arrest only in extreme cases. And they violated that. And then finally, the right to appeal to the emperor. They were not given that right. And Paul says, listen, they broke the law. Paul says these guys broke the law and now they need to answer for it. And isn't it very interesting that Paul at this point, stay with me. Paul at this point is using the law against them. When I find it interesting that Paul did not use the law before they beat him. He could have. He could have said, listen, I know Paul because he's smart. Paul probably could have quoted the chapter, the verse, the section, the volume number. And said, look, according to your own law, here you go. You can't beat us. Bye bye. He didn't. Why? I think because at this time. I think Paul is more concerned about this new church starting in Philippi. He's more concerned that this new church is protected. And so he went out of the prison. He went to Lydia's house where they're having church. And saints, listen, as I close, this is the first church of Europe. And you got to think about the people who were at this very first Bible study in Lydia's home. Who was there? Well, first of all, we know that Lydia was there, a wealthy woman. As I said, a woman from Thyatira, a woman who had relocated to Philippi. She's wealthy enough to buy a home. Her home is obviously a big enough home so she can have people there. So we know Lydia's at this very first Bible study. There's no reason not to believe that the ex-demon girl, well, she was there. She got saved. And then the Philippian jailer and his family, well, they had to be there. And then, of course, I'm confident that the inmates, you know, some of the inmates who heard Paul and them singing, well, well, they were there as they were singing songs and hymns. And these inmates heard Paul and them singing. They had to be affected by that. And so some of these guys were there. And what we see in this first church is a church that is made up of all kinds of people. As I look at this church, I see a church of wealthy people and poor people and people from every different background, including ex-incarcerated people. And I see a church that looks much like the church that you're sitting in today. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you were the ex-incarcerated people. We're going to leave that alone, okay? But what we see is a church in the early church and a church that hasn't changed in two thousand years a church that is the first church a church that is today a church that is made up of all believers and we are one in christ amen saints and in this first church and in our church today there's neither jew nor greek nor black nor white nor 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 male nor female But the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ has broken down the walls that separate people. And now there's one church and it's the church of Jesus Christ. And saints, listen, the one place in the world that should be the one common place where all people can come and feel like they are a part of something and not segregated should be the church. Somebody say amen. Should be the church because it's in the church. This is the only place. Have you ever thunk it? This is the only place in the world where when you come into a building, every single one of us are leveled and we're all on the same level because we are all here to worship God. 
because God is above us. God is great and God is above us. And when you come into the house of the Lord, this is the one place where every single one of us, we bow down and we focus on him. He becomes the center of attention. So now we are all one in Christ in this place as one to worship God. The one thing I love about this church is that anybody can come to this church. And you guys tell me all the time, white people come up and tell me, I'm so glad for this church here at Calvary Chapel because I have friends that I want to invite to church, but I never could because I knew that if I took them to my church, they wouldn't be welcome. And I have black people who come and tell me I have friends who I wanted to bring to church, but I couldn't bring them to church because they wouldn't be welcome. And that's a crime. And that's sin. Because the church is made up of all people. Every single person who gives their life to Jesus Christ becomes a part of the universal church and makes up the Calvary Chapel here in Apex. And that's what I love. That's what we see as a model in the early church. And that's what we need to continue to strive for. We need to continue to strive for a church where Jesus Christ is the center of attention. How many times you've invited people? Yeah, I'm going to wait on that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And how many times have you invited people to church and the first thing they ask you, I've said this weeks ago, The first question they ask you is what? What do I wear? Listen, I've told you before. I'll tell you again. Wear something. (laughs) Say amen, saints. Because what you wear, we don't care. You can dress up all you want. Nobody's going to. Look, when you come into this place, our eyes are on Jesus, not your clothes. We're just happy that you've covered up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You understand. See, it's all about the Lord. It's all about Jesus. And that's what the church must focus on. And when we focus on Jesus, guess what? He meets us in this place every single night, every single time. I want to tell you one last thing, and then I got to close. I want you to just go back and meditate, because I didn't have time, because we had baby dedication and everything. But I want you to go back and meditate. Look at it again one last time, would you? Go back and meditate on verse 25. You want to notice Paul at his darkest hour... Paul, in his darkest moment, did you notice he was praying and singing to God? Did you notice that? Saints, I want to tell you this. I'm closing. I think I said that four times, didn't I? What does it mean when a preacher says in closing? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Okay. Paul, at his darkest moment, in his darkest hour, he began to sing songs in the night. And boy, if that didn't minister to me Friday and minister to me Saturday. How many times I've woken up and I'm singing, Hallelujah, grace like rain falls down on me. And whenever I sing a song about falls down on me, I'll say, Rodney, because it, it rhymes. Your name might not fit, but my name fits. Singing songs in the night. And Paul is at his lowest point here. But the low point becomes the turning point. Maybe you're here and you're at a low point. Listen, sing songs in the night. Ask God as you lay upon your bed to give you songs in the night because your low point will become your turning point. 
How do you know, Rodney? Because it happened to me. The songs in the night have saved me. The songs in the night have kept me. The Spirit of God waking me up and just dropping the song, and you wake up and you're humming the songs in the night. Paul is at his darkest hour, and this low point becomes a turning point, and that's the way God works. I'm learning that's the way God works. Our low points can become our turning points if we will sing praise to God. And then what happens, other people see you singing praise to God, and they're listening. They are listening, and they're watching you. And your witness and your testimony will be a witness to them. And that's why I think some of these ex-inmates were in the church in the Calvary Chapel at Philippi. Because they were listening with rapt attention. That's what it means in the Greek. With rapt attention, listening. They never heard that before. They never heard men in this stinky, dark, damp dungeon with rats running around and no air and no light. They never heard anybody singing praise to God. All they heard was people, other prisoners, cursing and swearing and groaning and moaning because of the stocks and because of the conditions. They never heard a man sing praise to God in these kind of conditions. And that is the very thing that was a witness to them and changed their lives. Sing songs in the night and allow God to minister to you in your dungeon. And in that dungeon, God will bring you out. And when you come out, you'll be a lot stronger. The low point can become the turning point. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.